Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in. Listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. I witness today repentance. Uh, I think one of the greatest um, things that we can do for ourselves and for other people is to live a repentant life. Um, you know, some people look at repentance like they look at love. You know, you've, you've heard probably guys say, women, and I apologize for my gender, but, uh, you know, a wife was complaining that her husband never, ever told her he loved her, and they've been married 20 years, and they were at a counselor, and he looked at the counselor and said, look, told her I loved her 20 years ago. If that changes, I'll let her know. Uh, sometimes I think we look at repentance that way. You know, I gave my life to Jesus 20 years ago, and, and I repented then. You know, if anything changes, I'll let him know. But the reality is repentance is one of the greatest ways to live the Christian life. Uh, I can promise you that today every one of us in here need to repent for something. I mean, you've probably already done 10 things this morning that maybe you need to repent for. I mean, am I right? I mean, I just get up every day and I just look for an opportunity to say I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry some of the strongest words you'll ever communicate if you're really sorry. Now, that, that's really, to me, it's very, very important because uh, most of the time, because of our pride, uh, our effort is to prove ourselves right, to, to defend ourselves. And then once we win, we're happy. Can I tell you something? If you win a fight with your spouse, you lose. There, there's no way to win for either side. Because, because if you're truly won, then you lose. Because if that person loses, you lose. So the easiest thing in the world, or the best thing, maybe not the easiest, is to simply repent. Uh, but we live in a performance-based society. We measure everything. And, uh, you know, you've got your credit scores. You've got all these things that measure how well you've done in life in a certain area and your credit score doesn't define you what you've lost what you've gained that, that doesn't define you in the eyes of God it might in the eyes of the world but it doesn't in the eyes of God uh, there was a teacher teaching a Sunday school class and young kids and trying to help them understand what it meant to repent or to get to heaven how do you get there and that was kind of the question how what if I sold my house I, and my cars, and I did a huge garage sale. I just basically liquidated my life, and, and I gave it all to the church. She looked at the kids and said, would I, would I go to heaven? No, 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 a resounding no. They, she's really proud. The kids are getting it. And she goes, well, what if, take it a step further, <clears throat> what if I uh, now go to work for the church, and I just serve. I don't get paid. I just I serve. I clean the church. I mow the yard. I, I teach a Sunday school class. I do all these things. Would I, would I go to heaven? No. Finally, she looks at the kids and says, you know, what does it take for us to go to heaven? A little kid lifted his hand and said, you've got to be dead. <laughs> He's on the right track. But the reality is, the Bible says that if we repent, times of refreshing will come. And so if I could get anything across to any of us today, the message is, have you lived a life or are we living a life that is filled with repentance 
which is really a reflection of our humility. It really is. It's just, just being willing to say, I'm sorry. Now, I, I, I hate to tell you, and it's, it, it's a terrible thing to think, that most of our lives, and at least in my life, I, I didn't use those words a lot. And uh, I uh, regret that it, it's taken a lot for me to really understand the power of the words, I'm sorry, or I apologize, or, or please forgive me. Those words are powerful because what you're really saying is, I put myself at your mercy. I put myself at your mercy. When we say that to God, God, I put myself at your mercy. I don't deserve anything but hell, but God, I put myself at your mercy. Now think about how we, if we horizontally are willing to say to somebody, I- I'm so sorry. And more than that, I'm sorry you feel that way. I'm I, I'm, that must be a terrible way to feel. It, it validates the emotions of others and disarms others' anger or frustration because the reality is what we're saying is you are more important to me than me being right. You are more important to me, and I value you more than getting my way or being right. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, and some of you probably have, Uh, been a pushover and you've been manipulated and you've been intimidated I understand that and I'm not suggesting that you allow yourself to be pushed around that's not at all what I'm suggesting but but you know and you can draw a line say I'm sorry you feel that way at the same time I want you to understand I need for you to understand that I feel manipulated or intimidated so I'm not saying be a pushover however if you look at the life of Jesus he had every opportunity to stand up against all that was being thrown at him. He never sinned. He's crucified as an innocent man. He's mocked. He's scorned. When I look at the life of Christ, it makes being a Christian difficult. Because he just, he addressed things. He was firm about things. But he never was mean. He never was. And he's, he's mistreated in every way. And yet he's perfect in every way. So turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 15, verse 31. And this is the only way I know to explain the way, one way at least, that we can find this attitude of repentance. And I call it an attitude of repentance because it really is an attitude. And uh, Paul put it this way. He said, I die Every day. Now, he wasn't talking about physically, but to his flesh, his desires, and the things that Paul really wanted to do. And he, he was an intelligent, educated man, and he becomes a convert, and, and now everything in his life has to shift. He was a man of justice, a man of the law. If you didn't do it right, you're going to get killed. I mean, Paul had that down, and now all of a sudden he, he converts to become a follower of Christ, and here's what he begins to tell us I die. Every day. I mean that, brothers. Just as surely as I glory over you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Now, this is, I'm trying to piece this together. It was really hard as I was studying this because the one translation says bad company corrupts good morals, and there are several translations here. Then I asked myself, 
exactly what is bad company? Because aren't we surrounded by bad company all the time? If you're out anywhere, we're surrounded by it. So I understand kind of what Paul's saying, but then I begin to ask the question, is bad company defined by people who lie? Now, when I say this, this is a challenge because most people would say they never lie. I know what you're thinking. I don't. Except the time that you kind of were a little sick and you really didn't want to go somewhere, but you really were well enough to go, but you kind of used the, you know, I don't, I'm sick, so I can't come to your house to eat. Really, what you're saying is I don't like you or something of that nature. You know, we, we say, well, I'm just, I just don't want to hurt anybody because some of you are that sweet. I, I just don't want anybody to be hurt. And, and that means then, because I don't want them hurt, not telling the truth is justified. It gets real quiet about now. And hopefully those of you are not wiggling at home. I just All I'm trying to do is get us to see that we, from the time we're born, we begin to listen to the people around us. And believe it or not, we are greatly influenced by the things we hear and the things we don't hear, the things we see and the things we don't see. And basically all we do is we did not create our life, we agreed with someone else's life. And so what, what is a lie in one home is simply I don't want to hurt anybody in another home. So is that bad company, are they bad company, people bad company? The reality is, here's what I say, bad company is defined by people who refuse to repent. We talk a whole lot about how to live the Christian life. But let me tell you, you cannot live the Christian life, truly, in my opinion, without a life, living a life of repentance. I just can't. I've realized that every day I need to live a life of repentance. It's not a one-time deal. It's not, well, you know, I, I did this major sin, I did this major wrong, and I need to repent. Because No, I need to repent every day. I probably need to repent right now because there are people who aren't here that should be here. And I think you should be here. Anyway, <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Just those little things like, Jesus, forgive me. I just want to love the way you love. Have you ever asked your spouse if you're married? And I want to challenge you to do this. I really do because this is really something God's been working in me. Or even a friend, a mom, dad, it doesn't matter who it is. Have you asked the person that you love, how can I love you in a way that impacts your life? Not... I'm going to love you the way I want to. This is just my personality. Deal with it. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus said, my personality, if you don't like it, lump it. Jesus came to earth and he found the sick. He found the hurting. He found the thief. He found all these people. And he loved them the way they needed to be loved. When he saw Zacchaeus in a tree, you know what he saw? He saw a hurting, lonely man that nobody came and visited. Nobody came to Zacchaeus' house. He was hated. Jesus said, you know what? I need to love this man. The way I need to love this man, I need to go into his home and show him I'm willing to eat with a tax collector. So Jesus knew how Zacchaeus needed to be loved. When you love someone the way they need to be loved, it will pull repentance out of them. But when you demand it, it will repel them. Are you loving people the way they need to be loved? Just a thought. In order to do that, you have to die to your own self. So here's what I want you to do. And this is a lesson for everybody. If, whoever, if you're not married, 
I want you to go to your closest friend and say, how do you receive love? You've read the five love languages, probably, or heard of them. Giving of gifts. Some of you feel loved when somebody buys you a gift. And it's not the gift. It's the fact that they thought were thinking about you, and they went and bought something for you. Go, I love the gift, but what I really love is you were thinking about me. Then some of you, it's acts of service. You just love it when you look at your spouse taking out the trash. Oh, my God, look, they love me so much. Acts of service. They clean the car. They help you in the kitchen. They help you outside in the yard, whatever the case may be. Words of affirmation. Some people just need to hear, you know what, I think you're pretty incredible. And not one time. But you say, if I say it too much, they're going to get an ego. Don't worry about it. You can never tell someone too much that they're awesome. I know, I know, I know. If you're a type A and you're a tough person and you grew up pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and you just think everybody ought to just be all right because you're John Wayne Christian. (laughs) You know what? God made everybody the way they are. And if all somebody needs to hear from us is, I think you're incredible. I really think you're special. Let me just tell you right now, it'll change and rock their world. Then there's quality time. And let me tell you something. Quality time means putting your dadgum cell phones down. Oh, pushed a button, didn't I? Just notice it. And I'm telling you, I watch this. I, I fight it because I'm an info maniac. I, information is all about me. I got I to gotta get it in here. I got to read it. And then what I realize is put your phone down. Quality time consists of quality attention. Quality attention. You know, I'm just telling you, this is the best marriage counseling sermon you've ever, ever heard. I'm telling you the truth. Everything I'm saying right now, if you just do these things, I think you're going to have an incredible life. I really do. I think if, if, if and ask your people, say, what, what feeds you? And here's what they're going to say. Here's what they're really going to say. All of them. No, no. You, you've got one or two. I can tell you what mine are. I have two top ones, and they're really hard. Okay, let me give you the last one first. So quality time and physical touch. You know, the Bible says greet one another with a holy kiss. It really, I mean, I don't really, I mean, that's kind of, you know, I mean, anyway. So, uh, we haven't defined that in America yet, okay? It's like uh, you take some guy who's single, haven't been kissed in a long time, he may get way off track with a holy kiss. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, so anyway, you know, for me, quality time is a huge deal. I, I just love quality time. I, I don't care about gifts. I mean, it's nice. I like them. They're fun. They're great. But I like quality time. I like, I like conversation. I'm one of those strange guys. I love communication. I don't like, just like to talk. I love, I love the dialogue, the interchange the exa- between two people. I love that. I like that quality of time. It's focused. It's attention. And... Uh, it's just a special thing when you're sharing your heart with somebody else and hearing their heart. Now, that's me. So, and then secondly, it's physical touch. There's just something about when the Bible says lay hands on the sick and they'll recover, the, literally science agrees with the Bible. Something happens, the vibrations of your, your hands and your fingertips. Jesus could have just said just pray for them, just speak over them, but he said lay hands on the sick. So th- there's something about physical touch, and this is not in my notes, and I don't know why I'm doing this, 
None of this is in there. I don't even know where I'm going from here. So, but I feel like this needs to be shared because arrogance and pride will prevent us from doing what I'm talking about. Repentance will release these things in us. It will release these gifts in us. When you just are willing to live a life of continually turning to God and turning away from self and ego and all of those things, this will change how you respond to people. Most of the time, we respond to people according to how they have treated us. Jesus didn't do that. He responded to people out of love everywhere he went. Now, Jesus didn't need to repent. He's perfect. But I wonder what is the word pent? No, I'm just kidding. You know, it's like, well, if you don't repent, you know, you pent. Anyway, you don't, anyway, okay, it's all good. So, you have to die every day. I love Psalm 51, uh, a psalm of David. When the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba, having, he said, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. David was clear. Have you ever had someone go like this? This does not work. Get this. I'm sorry that I did that, but it just negated your apology. But if you hadn't been an idiot, if you hadn't parked the bicycle behind the car, I might not run over it. That is not repentance. That's not an apology. That's an acknowledgement that they were more stupid than you. Which makes you more stupid than them. Just saying, trying to help you here. That's what church is all about, right? So David had this attitude of, God, I wholly am holy. I'm responsible. I'm the king. You appointed me. You anointed me. But I'm, I'm wholly responsible, God. When's the last time you owned something that you did? Really owned it. I mean owned it. It's really, really important. Now, to me, repentance is one of that gr the great reflection of humility, which I think is very attractive to a world that often perceives at least preachers as um, people who don't make mistakes. So I got this email this week, and probably one of the most encouraging emails I've received in eight months I've been here. I don't know this guy. Never met him. Wouldn't know him if he walked in the room. It came in our Mosaic email, and it said, Pastor Mark, I saw what happened to you, and I saw it as a Catholic who was eating garbage on the street. I'm highly educated, so don't see this as some offbeat comment. I was a superior in my industries, and that is plural. However, my life went through a spin cycle. Many things happened to me by my admission was preventable if I was stronger and played by the rules. I went from Oklahoma elite, elite to trying to figure out if I could panhandle and no one would recognize me. Anyway, strangers helped me. They realized that I was greater than my smell. They gave me food and shelter and a shower. Most people don't realize how great a shower is. I would take a shower and soap before I'd take food. It's the guilt and shame erased from your heart more than the full tummy. But as strangers helped and loved 
I grew. I actually got a job with a construction crew, a crew of illegals that couldn't speak English, but I got to clean up after them as they paid, uh, laid brick and cut a trim for houses. I kept fighting and kept searching for something bigger. The sad thing is that this is the best part of my testimony and the best part of why I'm sharing with you. If it wasn't for someone in your congregation, my life, which is back on top, and I'm running an oil and gas company that is still hiring in this crappy economy, would be non-existent. Well, I just want to thank you for your work and for not quitting when it would have been easy, because I get it. I want to quit every day, even though I turned it around, because I went so long with that mindset that it's like going to the bathroom when I wake up. Keep it up. I will keep listening. Doubt if I ever show up at church, but I will listen. Try and get your sermons up faster. <laughs> Laugh out loud. You know, this man was simply moved by someone who was humble enough, I don't know who you are, that reached out to him. The irony is his oil and gas company is right in this area. So I emailed him back and just said, you know, thanks. We'll do our best to get it up quicker, but you can live stream. And uh, maybe you are, and uh, cheers to you. And so glad you're watching and so honored that you spent the time to send that. So our witness is seen through action, not perfection. When we don't repent, it's, it's often a sign that we think we can be perfect. You know, most of our frustration isn't what other people think about us. It's what we think about us. You can blame other people for how you feel all day long, but the reality is most of the time the reason we feel less than is because in our minds we have a, an established idea of who we are and what we could do, and when we don't achieve it, then we feel bad about ourselves. I could never put how I feel off on anyone else because I was a perfectionist. And I still have those tendencies. And when I don't achieve perfection, I feel bad about me. You don't have to say anything. But what you do say contributes to how I already feel. But the reality is it's me. And so we live a frustrated life. Mom and dad expected a certain thing. My older brother, four years older than me. And when I say he's really brilliant, I'm not saying that because he's my brother. He just really is smart. Heck of a lot smarter than me. I knew I could never keep up with him in school. I tried. But I was an athlete. And, and that was my passion, that was my gift, that was my goal. He was, he was really smart, and I just was pretty good in sports. And, uh, but I always wanted to please my parents because I saw how they esteemed him when he brought home good grades. And I busted it, I really did, man. I did everything I could, but I knew I could never keep up with him. You know, I could blame my parents, but the reality is, if I simply accepted who I was, it wouldn't matter what you said to me. If I looked and said, Mom, Dad, you know what, I'm just not that smart. But I, I'm just not. How hard is that to say? But you know what? I am smart at some things. You're smart at some things. We're all smart at different things. And it's okay if you're smart where you're smart. You don't have to compete with everybody. The great witness in our life is not that we're perfect Christians, but that we're repentant Christians. That's what's really awesome about life. And if the world would see that in our hearts, I think the whole world would change. But we think everybody's looking for us to be perfect. They're really not. They're looking at how we respond to the times we're not perfect. I'm telling you, you're going to freak some people out at Thanksgiving. 
Because I know right now, Thanksgiving is one of those wonderful times where everybody comes together once a year to impress their family. And we're just thankful something great happened this year so I can rub it in Uncle Bob's face. I want to challenge you, if there's any competition in your family this holiday season, don't be a part of it. Just go and plan on telling everybody how wonderful they are, listening and saying, that's incredible. And they may never ask you how your life is going, and that's okay. You don't have to tell them. You don't have to do that to build yourself up to feel good about yourself. As a matter of fact, you're going to go away feeling like you smoked a doobie. (laughs) If all you can do is say, I'm so proud of you. That's like, cool, man, great job. I'm, I'm glad that happened for you. And you're just going to go out going, what am I on? Because it feels good to rejoice with others, to applaud others, to love them in a way that they need to be loved. You say, well, what about me? I just believe the principle of sowing and reaping, the law of reciprocity will work in your life. If you just keep loving long enough and hard enough, there's going to be somebody that comes along and loves you the way you need to be loved. I believe that. So, Acts 3.19, repent then and turn to God so that sins may be wiped away, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. If we live this life, we'll be refreshed by the Lord. Be willing to be wrong. Be willing to be wrong. There's no way I'm going to finish this. Be willing to be wrong. This is speaking to some of you people who think you're always right. And see, by thinking you're always right, you're wrong. You see what I'm saying? You just didn't know it because you're not always right. It's not important that you always be right. I know that you think it is because you were brought up where your parents applauded the person who was right the most. And so life becomes a, a competition. And let me tell you, in competition, somebody always loses. And I just don't believe that. I, I believe in, in competitive sports. I, I, I mean, that's just, but I don't believe in competitive living. Where anybody has to prove they're better than anybody else. I just don't believe in that. I believe it's, it keeps us all miserable. Be willing to take the hard way. Or the narrow way. However you want to look at it. Because your commitment and my commitment is not tested by the easy times. It's tested by the difficult times. It's easy to be committed to somebody who always cooperates with you. Committed to somebody who always thinks you're the greatest. But when you get in that that situation where the relationships you have become a competition. Never works out well. Be committed during the hard times. Be committed when the way is narrow and the times are difficult. Be committed. Because that will be the reflection of who you really are. Easy times, not so much. Will you believe in God? Will you stand for God? Will you serve the Lord? Will you follow Him in the hard times? Or will you abandon Him? Because He'll never abandon you. Be willing to respond appropriately to truth. Truth is divisive. It really is. Now, not between us and others, but in our soul. It's a two-edged sword. The Word of God, the Word of truth is a two-edged sword. Divides soul and spirit. 
Every time truth comes, this is the reason a lot of people don't go to church. If truth is spoken, it's divisive. But it's divisive in a redemptive way, not a punitive way. Whenever truth comes of how I should love my brother, how I should forgive, how I sh- what I should do, that truth begins to separate me, my flesh, and cut away the flesh and allow God to be God in my life. I'm telling you, life really doesn't have to be complicated. It's only complicated when we don't include Christ in every situation, in every given response. That's when life is complicated. I tell you, I'm not really sure that I'm not the most blessed man in the world that everything has happened to me the way it has. If I look at where I am today, I have to know God's a part of it. I have to know that God loved me so much that what happened needed to happen for Mark Crow to be close to Jesus. He didn't cause it. But God does work all things together for good. That was the devil meant for harm. God turned for good. God is not forgotten, and God has not forsaken you. And we just have to embrace those times, those difficult times where truth comes in. You see, underneath all of your frustration and anger, there are rivers of emotions. The manifestation of anger is to protect you. Your pride, things that should not be protected. Anger is a secondary emotion driven by fear and rejection and abandonment and all those things. And you're just mad because you don't know how to articulate what you're really feeling. Because if you do, it makes you vulnerable to the people around you. I tell you, one of my greatest emotions now is hurt. When I can identify and articulate, you know, I don't say I'm mad anymore. I say, you know, I feel hurt. I feel disappointed. I have fear operating in my life right now. And you know what? It doesn't bother me anymore. You know, used to, I grew up in a very tough neighborhood. Walked by Fight Corner every day, going to school, and every, way, every day coming home. So you just created this shell around your life. And in doing that, you keep all the love and all the affection and all the tension out. And that's just not me anymore. And it's the most wonderful feeling to be able to feel. To be able to feel. Because most people don't feel. We deny, we reject our own emotions and our feelings for fear that it will make us vulnerable to other people. Men especially are bad at this. You're scared to death that if you show any sign of weakness to your wife, that she will think you're less than a man. Let me tell you something. You couldn't be more a man when you can identify your fear, your hurt, your pain, your sorrow. Because then it just disarms everybody. Because you've just made yourself. That's what Jesus did. Why Jesus is so attractive. He didn't go around beating his chest. He looked at at his closest followers. And and he, he wept. In front of Mary and Martha. Jesus wept. The Son of God. The Man of God. The, the, the Messiah. The Christ. The Anointed One. Showed in that moment. What we call weakness. But in reality, it was strength. When you can feel at that level, I believe there won't be one person that won't at least respect who you are. And if they respect you, they might actually listen to you. 
changes everything. Secondly, our witness is seen in our passion. Our passion empowers us to pass the tests of life. And you will be tested. Passion is critical. So what I'm saying to you right now, I could have preached this 10 years ago. I don't think I would have preached it out of passion. I would have preached it out of principle. Now, it doesn't make it any less true. But it makes it far less applicable. If all you have is principle. Passion, I can preach this with passion now. And say, I believe these things to be true. When I communicate with people now, I ask them, what makes you feel loved? A word of encouragement, a word of affirmation that you are somebody great, that God made you that way. Is it just taking a moment, looking into their eyes, and giving them undivided attention? And women, let me just tell you something. You look at your husband this way, and I'm going to tell you, it'll change his world. Undivided attention. Both sides, but men often don't admit it, but... They need you. They need you. We come off as the protectors of life and family. And and maybe that's what our role is called to be. But the reality is, we're just puddles in your hands. Women, you really rule more than you think you do. You really do. we, we, We may be the head, but you're the neck. So whichever way you, we go. T.S. Eliot said, it's obvious that we can no more explain a passion to a person who has never experienced it than we can explain light to a blind person. I'm not, you, you can't explain passion. You, you just can't. But people feel it. When I used to do hospital visits back in the 80s when I, I hated, I did not want to be a pastor. I didn't want to bury people. I didn't want to visit yucky six people in the hospital. What do I say? It's, it's the most oh, God-awful feeling to go in and you know you, you believe that Christ is a healer. How do I pray if he doesn't? He, you, everything. And then one time a guy told me, he said, Mark, people will never remember what you say. But they will remember how you made them feel. See, we address thoughts too much. What do you think? I want you to stop asking your spouse or your friends what they think. Start asking, what do you feel? Shifts everything. What are you feeling? Because we can always give our thoughts. For some reason, we're quick. But ask somebody what they feel. Start asking, "What, what are you feeling today? Feeling sad? Feeling happy? Feeling threatened? Feeling rejected, feeling neglected, feeling sorrowful. What what do you feel today? Not what do you think. Somebody might say, well, you know, man, I I just think we may not be able to make our our payments this month. I I think I'm not going to. That's great. I hear you. That's logical. But how does that make you feel? Address the emotion of it. Because we all have feelings, even though we don't want to admit it. Will never ever deny my feelings for the rest of my life. I have found feelings to be one of the most wonderful friends that I've ever known. I didn't know he or she feelings existed. I only knew anger. I am so in love with feeling 
that you would think my hormones have shifted drastically. <laughs> Intimacy is born out of feelings and emotions. Before you ever met who you married, you felt before you ever thought, trust me. Something working down in here. And you felt it and you felt it and then one day you quit feeling and you started thinking. I think we need a house. I think we need children. I think we need a car. I think, I think, I think. And you've totally let that which brought you together drift. And you wonder why it's not working anymore. Because you quit feeling. You started thinking. And we really, the reality is as a man thinks in his heart, so is he, is really saying as a man feels, that's how he thinks. Jesus is going beyond the mind into the heart, saying as he thinks in his heart or as he feels in his heart, so is he. That feeling produces a thought. So how are you really feeling before you start thinking? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, this is passion. Yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Find your woe is me. What is your woe is me? This is my woe is me right here. I'm like, Paul, this is it. I really wanted to go to Europe and do movies. I really wanted to go to the Grand Caymans and oversee real estate or, or Elbow K Bahamas and oversee. I really wanted to do those things. My thinking was, this is so much better than dealing with Christians. That was really my thought. I thought I'd make a boatload of money. I don't have to deal with all of this. But I came back to my woe is me. This is my passion. This is my passion. And it's never left. I wanted it to leave. I didn't want to have to face you. I didn't want to have to face this city. I didn't want to have to face anybody. I knew Jesus forgave me on all of you. <laughs> That's my thought. Jesus has forgiven me. And it's like Jesus going, Mark, Mark, Mark. You still don't get it, do you? This is your woe is me. Our children's pastor, ridiculous. Lauren, you're crazy. Every Sunday morning, she gets up at 4.30, if that not earlier. She's at the office by 5.30 a.m. She drives a van to this place and sets up every week and tears down every week. You can't do that by principle very long. You can't do that by principle for eight months. This is my quote. Came up with this morning. Passion is God's alarm clock. When you really don't need an alarm clock to get up anymore because you just love what you do it's born out of passion my dad had a passion to play golf grew up poor family of 12 and he did pretty well and I'll never forget when he was introduced to golf it was the first thing I ever saw my dad really have a passion about and he was really good at it he was a par shooter you know what he worked all my life six days a week he worked 16 hours a day I didn't see him for the first 13 years of my life hardly at all might have seen him on Sunday, but he and seen him in passing. But then he had this passion. I'd watch him when we all finally got grown and he didn't have to work so hard anymore. I remember he'd get up on Saturday mornings and, I mean, he'd be outside at daybreak. He'd be cleaning his golf clubs. And the three guys he played golf with most of the, to the end of his life, I just watched a passion in him. Had he been introduced to golf when he was 16, he would have been a pro. He was that good. 
he found his passion late in life, and he didn't need an alarm clock. When you're passionate about something, rarely do you need to be awakened by an instrument or a clock. It's just passion. Lauren, it's the only day. She told me, it's the only day I get up early. She likes to sleep in. She's a sloth six days a week. <laughs> just kidding. She's really not. She thinks she is. But she gets up early on this day because she loves kids. She loves your kids. Keep the fires of passion burning. How do I do that? Feed them with positive words. Avoid giving in to negative people. Feed your passion. And then lastly, I'm just going to try to cover this point real quickly. Living no longer is our primary motivation. But passion and being a witness is. I don't care how long I live. I really don't. I'm not afraid of dying one day. Wouldn't care. Don't care. Because if I die, I'm going to be with Jesus. I don't care. I don't care how long I live. Some people, I want to live to be 90. I don't care if I live nine days, 90 years. I don't care. That no longer matters anymore. What matters to me now is that my passion has a vehicle, a way to be demonstrated and communicated to the people that I live around. That's my passion. It, 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 over, it overstates, it over, it's more important to me than anything. Find that woe is me. Now, there'll be tests, there'll be difficulties, there'll be challenges, but you know what? You're going to be more equipped than ever to do those because living long is not what's important anymore. Living right is everything, and repentance is what opens the door to living right. Not being right. Too often we try to be right. No, 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 no. Live right. Make right. Being right is way overrated and it'll make you a lonely person because nobody wants to be around you. You ever been around people who always want to be right? Dear Jesus, help them. It's arrogance. It's pride. I don't need to be right. I just want to make right. That's what Jesus came to do was make us right by shedding his blood on the cross and giving us a connection to our Creator again. He never walked around talking about how right he was. He just went around making things right, healing the leper and loving the woman caught in the act of adultery, going into a, a, a thief's home and eating with him, touching lepers, just making things right. Challenge us today. Be that person. Take this, take this home and please, honestly, don't talk about me. Talk to your spouse and ask them this question. Use those five thoughts of love languages. How can I love you in a way that will bring life to who you are? Ask them. Some of y'all have been married so long you don't even care. Ah, we've been married 60 years. Who gives a flip? <laughs> Suck it up, buttercup. All right, so... <laughs> Don't do that, man. Your last 30 days may be the best of your life. Or did I say that? Your last 30 years, I'm sorry, may be the best of your life. Just ask those questions and see what God can do. Father, we thank you so much that you've extended incredible patience and grace to us. And pray, Lord, for everyone here today that we would all be willing to live a life of turning, of repenting, of humility and kindness. It's my prayer, God. It's my prayer. I feel like, Lord, it's a new day for all of us. We get an opportunity to do something maybe we've never done. Help us, Jesus.
help us. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I want to ask you to pray this simple prayer with me. Those of you watching uh, from home, hotel room, wherever you might be. God has not forgotten you, nor has he forsaken you. Um, He's not mad at you. You can look and listen to this today and go, I've missed it so bad. Haven't we all? It's not about what you've missed. It's about what you get to do from this day forward that will change your life in the lives of those around you and bring peace that passes understanding. It's not what others do. It's what we do. That changes everything inside us. So pray this prayer with me. Everyone here, everyone watching, say, Father God, today I surrender my eyes, my heart, my ears, my hands, my feet, and my life to you. I repent of my sin. I give you my life. Amen.